0: Hey, everybody, this is Hans Hess. I'm back for the second uh, podcast on this issue of counterculture. Last time I talked about just the the issue of counterculture in general and how we as believers should get out there and engage, should get out there and... in compassion and love and reach others and stand for what we believe, but do it not out of anger or judgmentalism, but do it out of love and compassion. Well, today I want to I turn to another subject, and that is the subject of life. Is life sacred? This is a big issue in the culture today, and a lot of uh, press is made about it. Uh, this is a political season we're in right now, and uh, it's always brought up in, in these seasons. So I just wanted to look at Scripture and and uh, try to give us a way forward as we talk about life. Genesis chapter 1. Last week we talked about God being the creator of everything we see, and that creation theism really is the lens we look through uh, as we view culture. Well, well, this week I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 1, but look at verse 27. The Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So man was created in the image of God. If that is the case, then life is sacred. If that is the case, then life is sacred. So as we look at the recent tragedies in St. Louis, Baltimore, Charleston, we're asked about the value of life. Or we look at the recent beheadings of Christians in the Middle East, we ask ourselves, you know, what is the value of life? But as believers... Uh, we really need to take on this, this, this culture of life and to see life as sacred. And if that's the case, then it injects life with, with meaning and purpose. Every person is sacred. Every person is a gift of God. Okay, so for the rest of this podcast, I just want to look at two issues going on in society and uh, how should we respond to these issues as Christians if we believe life is sacred. The first one is abortion. According to recent statistics, I've read that 115,000 abortions occur every day somewhere in the world. An estimated 977,000 abortions occurred in the U.S. in 2014. Isn't that staggering? Since 1973 in the United States, when the Roe versus Wade decision came down, there have been over 53 million abortions in the United States. In a 2012 publication in prenatal diagnosis, their research calculated a weighted mean across the United States of a 67% termination rate following the prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. And in Europe, one study said this number was as high as 92%. That's 92% of ladies who discover they have a Down syndrome child they abort. It's just most troubling to me. Anyhow, what does the scripture have to say about this? Well, if you look into the prophets, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 1, 4, Now to the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Isaiah said, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you formed my inner parts. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So we see, these are just a few samples from scripture where we see that life was sacred and God does know who the unborn are. Yet we hear this argument in the culture that first of all, abortion is legal and we are supposed to obey the laws of the land. So therefore we should just let it go on and we shouldn't uh, be worried with it. Secondly, of all, there's an argument that uh, some would say, even Christians, well, hey, I don't condone a- abortion. I personally believe it's wrong, but each woman has the right to choose what she wants to do with her body. So I, I just want to challenge you on these two things, because if you're there, you're in what David Platt calls the muddled middle of the road. Randy Alcorn said to endorse or even be neutral about killing innocent children created in God's image is unthinkable in the scriptures. It was unthinkable to Christians in church history and should be unthinkable to Christians today. It is true that Christians should obey the law of the land. However, if that law contradicts the law of God, then we must opt to obey the law of God. So what do we do as believers if we find a contradictory law like that, where the Bible says life is sacred, we should treasure life, but the law of the land is we can abort children? Well, I think the Christian's response should be that of Martin Luther King Jr. That is that we should make our voice known, that we should protest peacefully, we should never harm others. But we should protest peacefully. And thank God in America, we live in a nation where we can still protest and march and make our voice known. Also, we can get out and vote and vote for those who represent biblical convictions. What about the second objection? That is that a woman has a right to choose because it's all about her body. Well, I think if we look at this scripturally... um, True, a woman does have rights over her own body to choose what she does with it. However, when a child is formed within her, she does not have the right to kill that life because it is another life. It's not just part of her body. It is another life. And finally, as the church, we have this awesome message of redemption and restoration. For the thousands of women who have decided to terminate their pregnancies, I want to assure you, there is a God who loves you and wants to heal you and wants to redeem you. In fact, there have been powerful testimonies of women who have walked through dark days after terminating a pregnancy, and they've gone on to find hope and healing in Jesus. And God has even given some of these ladies assurance that their aborted child is waiting on them in heaven. So praise God for his redemption. You know, God knows best. God knows best, and his laws aren't to bring us down, but his laws are to heal us and to keep us safe. The second issue I want to deal with before I close is this issue of pornography and sex slavery and how these two intersect. Years ago, when I was first traveling as an evangelist, I went to Toronto Canada and preached a revival there. And we rode around the streets of Toronto one night and the pastor and one of his friends told me the experience of them going on those streets and witnessing to people. And they've encountered a young child one night that was um, pretty much locked, would be locked in rooms and sold out for sex to guys up and down the street. And this, this pastor and his friend told me how angry they even thought about taking up arms and going and rescuing the child and all kinds of stuff. That was my first exposure to this back in the 90s. But now it's incredible. According to the Borgen Project, an estimated 29 million people live in modern slavery in the world today. And slavery generates $32 for traffickers globally each year. And of those, about 22% of the victims are enslaved for sexual purposes. And many of those being children. And you know, it doesn't take much logic to realize this is wrong, but I just want to attack it with scripture for a moment. First of all, if we are created in the image of God, it is wrong to have someone held in slavery, let alone for sexual purposes. In fact, it was devout Christians throughout history who helped end the slave trade, such as William Wilberforce, who helped end slavery in the West. And I believe it will be devout Christians who will help end slavery in the modern West as well. The second thing is pornography is linked to this sex trafficking and this sex slavery. That, that trade is greatly bolstered through the popularity of pornography. When someone watches pornography, it fuels the lust within them, yet it doesn't satisfy that lust. It just fuels it. So, so look at it this way. Every time someone watches pornography, it fuels the sex trafficking in- industry. How? Because pornography drives people to seek out prostitution, which which increases the demands for sex trafficking. So look at it that way, guys. Viewing pornography helps fuel this industry, which is so terrible. In the Telegraph in England, uh, there was a story about psychiatrist Norman Dodge who wrote a book called The Brain That Changes Itself. And in this interview, he found a phenomenon in the mid-1990s as he was dealing with men, men who had been avid porn watchers. And they, he, he found out that they could only be aroused with their wives by watching pornography beforehand. Why was this? Well, the, the psychiatrist Dodge said that pornography satisfies every one of the prerequisites for neuroplastic change. That is, the brain's ability to form new neural circuitry. So the more often you watch porn and get the dopamine hit that it delivers, the more activity and the sensation become entwined in your brain. Dodge put it like this, since neurons that fire together wire together, These men got massive amounts of practice wiring these images into the pleasure centers of the brain. And because plasticity is competitive, the brain maps for new exciting images increased at the expense of what had previously attracted them. So what does all that mean? It means that these guys had developed a tolerance. And the only way to get a greater level of satisfaction was to go view harder and weirder Pornography, because it had, in a sense, rewired their brain. <laughs> the truth of God is that every man and woman possesses inherent dignity. They are not to be sold or solicited for sex. They are to be valued and treasured as excellent in the eyes of God. People not, are not inferior objects to be used for selfish, sexual, or sensual pleasure. You know, David Platt said in his book, Counterculture, we may scoff at how pre-Civil War churchgoers justified owning slaves, But aren't we dangerously like them when we participate in pornography and promote sex slavery to which it is inextricably tied in our own homes? God is alone the owner of all people. Philippians chapter 2. I want to end with this. The beautiful irony of the gospel is, though, that the God who owns all men became a servant of all to rescue men from the sins of that they are bound to. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. God came down to us, took the form of a servant, died on a cross to rescue us from slavery and bondage because he created us and he realizes the value and dignity of the human person. Let's get out and engage the culture. God bless you guys.